am. So <clears throat> I got practically lost on the way over here because it looked different. And then I come in here and we sit down and things just are different from what's happened in the last 15 days. And then, <clears throat> well, let's see what kind of trouble we get ourselves into. Let's see how we can make this work. Welcome to Lyrics to Go, the podcast where we take a deep dive into lyrics that are questionable at best, not really, um, but have largely (laughs) dodged public ridicule, not really. uh, Until now, I'm Mark and I'm here with Seth. How are you, Seth? I'm so good. I've had such a great week. Um, I suppose other people have probably, maybe even on other podcasts, done what we're about to do. Um, Mm. But I am excited to actually do this, to go over this. And for people that I know that listen to this podcast, come podcast come back and give me um, feedback on what we're about to say about this song. Uh, it's I think it was mentioned at the end of end of last week's episode that this is very unusual what we're about to do for for what we've done on this show for a long time for a year and a half. Episode number what eighty something? This is ninety four. Ninety four, Jesus, something like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we won't uh, we won't beat around the bush too much uh from the jump i want to get into it um yeah. we are doing uh born in the usa um elongated title born in the united states of america mm. um by mr springsteen himself the boss bruce springsteen um so we've said it before i'm not gonna um repeat myself a bunch there are some songs the first one that comes to mind is the heart song that we did where the the tagline of the, the, the show is in large part what we do, which is, of course, lyrics that are, you think are good, but they're not good. Um, Have dodged public ridicule is the first right. thing you say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, there is some ridicule about the lyrics of the song. A little bit. There is some ridicule to Mr. Springsteen himself. There can be. We will talk about all of that as well. Uh, but the song is a little bit different because it uh, it plays on a little bit of the lesser thing that we've um, focused on, which is not bad lyrics, but misunderstood lyrics. And if there is one thing that I've seen over and over again today while, pe- while pouring over um, the various web pages and Wikipedia pages, etc., about this song, it's the misunderstanding... Um, Maybe not even misunderstanding necessarily, um, but the um, perception. Yeah, the misconception, the misperception mm-hmm. of this song because of how it sounds and because of what it's called. Let's go ahead and start. We won't necessarily get into the whole history of the E Street Band etc. We should talk a little bit about Bruce. Well, let's talk a little bit about Bruce. Of course, born in Asbury Park, New Jersey. Absolutely. Um, he is a very proud New Jersey man. He was born, he learned how to play guitar and sing. He's got the gruff voice. Um, he releases a bunch of stuff and becomes very much like a, an all-American boy 
all-American man kind of guy. Um, I I mean, I don't know if there's anything you really want to talk about um, until we get up on uh, into, um, you know, 1982. There's, there's a couple of things that I would like to cover just from the very beginning. When he was originally discovered, um, there was a famous, I think it was maybe John Landau or somebody like that. They had kind of, and this is just from memory. Um, <clears throat> it's not me reading anything. He was kind of billed as maybe, uh, according to the record producers that got a hold of him, if, if you would do me a favor and look up what record company he started with while I'm talking about this. Um, when he was started, they kind of treated him as if he was going to be the next Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. As he was going to, you know, he was going to be the next, you know, poet, the voice of America. And um, and it was kind of, I suppose, like that with Greetings from Asbury Park, which was his first record. But it quickly changed with uh, following records like Darkness on the Edge of Town, which just happens to be my favorite one. Columbia Records. Columbia. Um, Darkness on the Edge of Town, uh, uh, Wild, Innocent, and Street she- East Street Shuffle, which is another probably just as good. And he started to kind of evolve not too far out of the vein as the voice of the American working man, but um, he it became louder, you know, more uh, in your face over time. And, and he evolved on his own as opposed to just him being, you know, another singer-songwriter, which is what right. I think the people from Columbia wanted him to be. Yeah. Um, made a bunch of records about living, you know, the, the, the life of your average American workaday person. And that's a beautiful, wonderful thing, and it should be expressed. There are other people that did stuff like that. Like in early, um, Randy Newman used to write songs like that. The wonderful John Prine used to write songs like that. And I think that some of what we are going to be talking about today directly draws from songwriters like that. The, the, the overall theme of Born in the USA and what we're going to be speaking about, I think it's something that hasn't been covered is the fact that I believe that he was listening to guys like Randy Newman and John Prine, and that's how he came up with the lyrics. Uh, started, of course, in New Jersey, playing at places like the Stone Pony, and uh, became you know, is obviously an icon, him and John, Bo- John Jovi. In, uh, in New Jersey, they're both uh, held in super high regard. I've known people throughout my life that follow him around uh, vis-a-vis the Grateful Dead. Um, you know, started off with the E Street Band from known, the very beginning. Yeah, known for, we should say, this guy puts on three-hour shows. Yes. Bruce McCullough very sam- famously said, America, it's like a Springsteen show. Really long yeah. and kind of boring, but wow, what energy, you know, which <laughs> um, I love. Uh, yeah, I mean, the guy is known for giving people their money's worth. My mom was a gigantic I, Bruce Springsteen fan, and it was hard to be a woman and not be. He's a very attractive guy. He has a very blue-collar look about him. Um, you know, he's the kind of guy that like the woman on Rodeo Drive falls in love with when he's like out pruning her shrubs one day, <laughs> you know, just like, he's you like know, the plumber that takes his shirt off and suddenly you exactly. see his glistening ripped yeah. body. Yeah. You know, he's removing he's a sink or something. cleaning your pool and, <laughs> and the sun's beaten down. So he Bruce takes off his hat and does the thing where he takes his shirt off with the hat in one hand. Rock and roll pool boy. Yeah. Just body by hard work, you know, just like. <laughs> 
build ch- chiseled out of marble. Uh, yeah, he's a built like guy. a brick shit house. If you want to see what we're talking about, go out and see. There's a live video for a song called Rosalita. It's from uh, Dark or no uh, Wild uh, Innocent. Yeah, and you can just see women go. I mean, just treat him like the Beatles. They run on stage. They grab him. They can't stop kissing him. Mm-hmm. And it just so happens it's a it's and he's a show. Smile all the while. Yeah, he's smiling. <laughs> he's like he's enjoying it the whole time. And he's got a big giant. And uh, it's it's his show closer. It was a long time show closer. It's a really good. It's not a great song, but like I said, what energy. And uh, and you can just imagine him blowing the roof off of every dump that he plays in with that song. It's it's worth checking out. It's called Rosalito. Just look for the earliest video you can. Uh, it's fantastic. Tons of people out there know what I'm talking about. But he turned a corner in the '80s and became a little bit more, a little bit more, you know, as if he wasn't mainstream from the begin to begin with being on Columbia. But he became more mainstream mm-hmm. when he started recording Nebraska. So we're getting to 1982 now. Um, You know, he's got a large amount of fame already. Uh, He has quite a following. He has the E Street Band that was put together with the likes of Max Weinberg, who if you ever watched uh, the Conan O'Brien show, you know him. He kind of had a resurgence. Um, This album that we're going to be talking about, Born in the USA, was actually following him having uh, surgery on his wrists because he was getting bad tendonitis. Um, of course, Little Stevie. Yes. Um, from uh, from uh, Sopranos, you may know him as the conciliary or conciliary, um, and a number of other. I mean, it's made out of Clarence Clemens, Ray Britton, Clarence. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're all re- they're all great. They're yes, all really really. They're all great. fantastic. Yeah. So he decides he's going to record um, some demos and. Um, some of these songs, a good chunk of these songs, while he's recording on a four-track recorder, um, kind of putting some stuff together to bring to the E Street Band. They just go, these are so good as is. You just need to release them. Yeah. Uh, Atlantic City is one of those songs. Um, probably the biggest one from Nebraska. Um, they bring you know a lot of these songs to the E Street Band and kind of go, kind of go through them and they go... Some of these we're just going to keep and we're just going to release. Um, and they release Nebraska. A very stark, um, uh, you know, a very stark. Desolate uh, sounding. Yes. Yes. Um, just him with an acoustic fucking guitar. T- I mean, way more along the lines of like a Guthrie or mm-hmm. a Dylan of him just telling you stories. And it's good. And it's very good. You should own it. It's very different. So don't expect you know, glory days. Don't expect this stuff. Don't expect tunnel of love. Though it's yeah. <laughs> though it though it's very dancing in the dark. Though it's yeah. very, um, it's very good, and it's very crazy to think that these songs were written, possibly to go on this album, and what kind of treatment they would have gotten. There is one song he records, and it is very. Uh, it is also very stark. They believe this song does not really go along with the others on the album. We're going to go ahead and we're going to shelve it. And that song is called Born in the USA. This song, the version, and I'll play a little bit of a clip um, of it now uh, under while we're talking, um, sounds, you cannot tell they're the same song. Um, The only way you can tell is that he says Born in the USA over and over again. One of the things about the, the song Born in the USA that I think throws a lot of people off, other than the way it sounds, the fist pumping, the giant American flag on the cover of the album and the giant American flag that he is um, 
standing in front of with a recreation of the album cover um, is his delivery is very curt. And I think it makes it kind of hard to understand what he's saying unless you're looking at the lyrics. Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, it's very easy to just kind of be like, I don't know. I think he may have said Vietnam in there. I don't know. All I know is that he's like, and then he just says born in the USA a bunch. It's you. It's got to be about loving America. It's it. It it evokes, especially being a kid that heard it, you know, when it first came out on MTV in 1984, it evokes a very jingoistic response, according to most people. Yes, it it most people look at it and they just go, of course, uh, during Reagan's campaign in 84, he brought it up repeatedly and said, you know, born in the USA like Bruce Springsteen. Well, I can guarantee you that Ronald Reagan did not pay attention to the rest of the lyrics, um, much like the rest of us. It's the song has an interesting arc, I think, for people specifically my age that would have been around ten years old when you first heard it. it, it we all pumped our fists to it, thought it was great. We're extremely, extremely proud of it. Um, didn't pay attention to the lyrics, obviously, back then. As we got older and started to develop, you know, uh, individualistic thought patterns, hopefully. You 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 kind of turned your back on it and looked at it solely for the jingoism that that people extract from it. I don't want to try not to use that word too much, but mm. that's what people got from it. They thought, oh, it's a nationalistic song, uh, not paying attention to the lyrics. Now, um, so it kind of fell out of favor. Now at this age, I can't be more fucking proud of this song. I think it is absolutely beautiful. I think it's wonderful. And at this age, I get into the fist pumping. I am proud to be born in the USA. And uh, this song uh, um, covers the duality of it beautifully, absolutely beautifully. And that's what we're going to talk about. For Ronald Reagan, uh, some of his people uh, went to Bruce Springsteen and Bruce Springsteen's people asking about being able to use this song. And they were told no. However... um, While in New Jersey, uh, in 1984, Reagan added the following to his speech. America's future rests in a thousand dreams inside our hearts. It rests in the message of hope and songs so many young Americans admire. New Jersey's own Bruce Springsteen. And helping you make those dreams come true is what this job of mine is all about. (laughs) True irony. True irony. And this was after George Will... Um, one of his, uh, one of the people on, uh, his little task force there had gone to a Bruce Springsteen concert and said, I've got, I I have not got a clue about Springsteen's politics, if any, but flags get waved at his concerts while he sings about hard times. He's no whiner and the recitation of closed factories and other problems always seems punctuated by a grand cheerful affirmation Mm. born in the USA. (laughs) And wow, still not getting it. We're live Just looking at right it, but not getting over it. his head. I got to say, though, man, Bruce Springsteen is my kind of American. Yeah, he is. He definitely is. So one thing I'm just going to go ahead and mention and one thing that seems like it got mentioned a lot in the comments. Bruce Springsteen is a draft dodger. Um, okay. Now, I'm not. Look, I'm not. I, I don't want to get even into the politics about being pro-war or anti-war. I don't care. Um, he has um, he has in the past expressed regret knowing that him not going meant someone else was going to go 
and that person may have not come home. Um, so, you know, it is what it is. He, um, basically pretended like he was, uh, a fucked up person on LSD to get out of having to go. Um, when he has done live versions of this song in the past, sometimes nowadays it is done in this way, though it doesn't, um, get played as much in this style now. Mm -hmm. He has done the acoustic version a lot more. Um, this is from uh, Song Facts. When Springsteen performed a spare acoustic version of the song during his Springsteen on Broadway run from 2017 to 18, he would introduce it as uh, a story about Walter Shoshone, who is the leader of a New Jersey rock band called The Motifs, who seemed destined for stardom. Shoshone got drafted and in 1968 went missing in action. Mm. Uh, there's a song by Bruce Springsteen in 2014 called The Wall, which is about him. With this backdrop, Born in the USA tells the tragic story not just of soldiers who were neglected when they returned home to Vietnam, but those who never made it home. It's covered in the song. Yeah. It is. It is. Um, so, uh, you know, it is definitely a very... There's a lot to this. There's a lot to it's, this. It, it's great. Um, um, there is, it, it is deep and wide, and there is so much to cover. Um, when you're talking about this topic and this issue and where it came from and the person that wrote it and their motivations, it is a it is an unfathomably deep song and topic. The song was originally going to be titled Vietnam or Vietnam, depending on how you want to um, pronounce it. I was a huge fan. My mom listened to a lot of Steve Earle when I was growing up, and he liked to say Vietnam. Yes, so that's usually uh, kind of how Copperhead it comes Road. off my yeah. That's exactly, yeah. yeah. Uh, this is, along with Sam Stone, one of my favorite... Oh, you brought it up. Yeah. There you go. One of, one of I my... was holding that in my pocket, Mark. <laughs> that was that was about to come out in the, when we're talking the lyrics. If go you, ahead. Talk if to you want to about... listen to another song about how fucking depressing it was coming back from the oh. Vietnam War um, and what it did to people's lives, Sam Stone, for my money, is in my top 10 saddest it's, songs of all time. It uh, it's, is just a, such a fucking good song. Yeah. And it's very, very sad. It is by John Prine, who is just one of the best songwriters of our time, it, far and away. It's about soldiers' disease. What they called after the Civil War, there was a proliferation of soldiers that started to take morphine. Um, and then they noticed that that started happening after World War One, and then after World War Two, And then... Um, at Vietnam, somebody wrote us after Vietnam. Somebody wrote a song about it, and it's all about Sam and about how all the money goes right up into a hole in Daddy's arm. But the morphine is the pain like a thousand Those railroad trains. Oh, it's... and gave him all the confidence he lacked with a purple heart oh. and a monkey on his back. He is. Are you fucking joking? John Prine was a like fucking national treasure. I'm getting chills just like thinking of the song. I'm getting chills just thinking of the lyrics. It also coincides a little bit with another John Prine song, I believe, Mark. It's called The Great Compromise. Mm -hmm. um, and it, you know, that covers the, you know, um, he brings up, you know, cowardice and, 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 uh, and, you know, worthiness. And those topics are covered by another, you know, young guy in another John Prine song. It's called The Great Compromise. Check those songs out. See if you think there's any influence there. I think there is. Indeed. Let's go ahead and get started going through them. these lyrics. Let's do them. This is going to be a very good parsing out of what you've been missing, possibly, when hearing this song in every bar um, and at every stadium concert you went to, 
uh, and exactly what is being said. Born down in a dead man's town, the first kick I took was when I hit the ground. You end up like a dog that's been beat too much till you spend half your life just covering up. Born in the USA, I was born in the USA. I was born in the USA. Born in the USA. You know what else is interesting to me right off that I noticed when when I was looking through the lyrics? If you're a musician, Just it, say it's a very weird it's very weirdly weirdly parsed out and there's just a lot of just space in it there's some lines and then stops and then this is the most normal verse chorus there's a very typical progression the da 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 mm-hmm. you can play it anybody that picks up a guitar can play this song both just because it is essentially one chord mm-hmm. you know if you're playing the backing part and then the the melody is just the da 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 it's a very simple Used in a million songs, a melody, you just haven't noticed it probably before. And that's part of the beauty of it. That's yeah. absolutely part of the beauty. And it all, and I, I would say that the song all resu- resu- revolves around that single fucking Max Weinberg snare. Yeah. In the music, just, in the music on the world, it is it, considered one of the best snare sounds of all time. It so fucking cool. They've gone through to like talk about exactly how they got that snare sound. Um, now the words. Yeah. Now the words. Um, I mean, you know, this just lays a pretty fantastic backdrop of the situation of our main protagonist, you know, born down in a dead man's town. Um, not only are you being born in a, in a dead man's town, but you're born down in it. Yeah. Just giving a very lowly, you just know from the jump. That this is not a happy song. Mark, have you ever been to Youngstown, Ohio? I have, actually. You have? I have. This is what I picture. If you go to Youngstown, and I've spent some time in Youngstown, it is a big, gigantic, massive, rusting city that has been dying since after Vietnam. Mm. And there are countless other cities just like this across the Midwest. Most of those people, like Flint, Michigan, St. Louis to a certain degree, are dying to move here where we live. Rust Belt towns. That's what they are. And this is what I picture, born down, probably on the south side of Youngstown, in in the absolute worst possible places, in a dead man's town. This is where they retrieve the people that fight their wars. You know, this is not... You know, the, the senator's sons that, that good old John Fogarty wrote about in Washington, D.C. or in capital cities. You know, this is um, this is where people are dying. This is where America is is rusting from the inside out. Where we've moved on from whatever good or service they provided for a long time without, um, you know, without taking care of the people after the fact and getting kind of left with a, you know, well, we wanted you, you know, your whole city or area or state is basically like tipping on making cars or steel or whatever it is gadgets and now we don't need that anymore Mm -hmm. and or we can get it cheaper elsewhere so we've done that and again i'm not interested in getting into a was this right or was this wrong but it happened what it is it happened saying what it is and that is the fact that Things started getting made elsewhere or stopped being made, and 
these places just unfortunately in a lot of cases rotted inside out with people that only knew how to do one thing and had done it in their family for generations and then were useless when it went and away and then felt useless yeah but i mean just so much of a backdrop from that first line the next three uh, you know while they abandon geography tell so much about the psyche of the average dog in america yeah the first kick i took was when i hit the ground (laughs) um you end up like a dog that's been beat too much till you spend half your life just covering up i mean just you just know that this person before we know anything about vietnam it's like god damn (laughs) just got the shit into the stick and then uh, and then you we jump right into the course. Yeah. Born in the USA. Yeah. That's, you know, where are we? What is this? What's going on here? This is not a third world country. This is born in the USA. I really think that most of America and maybe the world in general can really relate to till you spend half your life just covering it up. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, it, it shows how much of this world is living a lie. Yeah. You know. And I was I was wrong. I, I apologize. There is another little chorus coming up here. Uh, the second verse uh, definitely catapults us into the into the situation. Got in a little hometown jam, so they put a rifle in my hand. Sent me off to a foreign land to go and kill the yellow man. Born in the USA, I was born in the USA I was born in the USA I was born in the USA got in a little hometown jam this is something that people don't also might not realize is that um, when you got in trouble with the law back in the 1930s 40s 50s 60s all the way up until the 70s and 80s a lot of times you would go in from the in front of the judge for what you did, and if you were of age, he would give you the option to send you off to the military. Mm-hmm. He would say, oh, you can do six months to a year in jail, or you can join the army. That was a very, very common thing. So, This is from Genius Annotation. There's a lot of anecdotal evidence that judges during the Vietnam era would insist that a young offender enlist in the army or head to jail. There's also documentary evidence in the form of a 1972 newspaper article that talks about the Army's attempts to end the practice. President Johnson spoke of the military's need for more boys to fight in Vietnam. Uh, He was adamant that he would get what he requested. The practice is now forbidden by all branches of the U.S. military. Mm -hmm. The Army, Air Force, Coast Guard, and Marines have specific sections of their recruiting regulations prohibiting enlistment in lieu of jail fines or other illegal punishment. The Navy doesn't have a regulation on the books, but recruiters will turn away such applicants. Wink, wink. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, he's he's down on his luck in a dead man's town. Who knows? He's at a bar. He gets into a fight or something. Um, and so they say, look, here are your two options. You can go to jail and you can start, you know, basically what, you know, they could scare him into thinking would be a life of being in and out of jail. Yeah. Or you know what? Let's get you. Uh, let's get you scared straight. Let's get you into the military. Where they'll teach you to be a man. Let's make you into something. Yeah. yeah. You're you're 18. Yeah. You're 19. You're 17 and a half. That's close enough. We'll throw you in there and we'll get you taken care of. Not and, knowing that the outcome is probably just as bad as in and out of jail. Yeah. And or a, dead. And a hometown jam becomes them putting him off to a, sending him off to a foreign land 
to go and kill the yellow man. Um, which, you know, I think it's gross language, but it is accurate language to what it was at the time. It is. That is exactly what they would say. That's what, yeah, that's exactly what we'd say. Um, dehumanizing Vietnamese to nothing but yellow men. That's all they are. They, um, um, Bruce Springsteen is a huge fan. As a matter of fact, he has songs that are named after Flannery O'Connor stories. You love Flannery And I am O'Connor. a huge Flannery O'Connor story and, or, or fan. Um, and one of the biggest problems in our day and age is that there are university centers that in the 1950s and 60s were named after her, and they are taking her name down in an effort to cancel her and get rid of her because she so very casually used the N-word mm. in her songs. And... Um, <clears throat> um, I mean, in her songs, in her stories. And uh, she, this was brought up to her because she, even though she was from the South, a lot of the people that she spoke to about her writings were Northern, and they recognized the genius, the people that she was close to. And some of them did bring up this fact, and one of the things that she pointed out to them, which she repeatedly said in interviews and writings, is that if I did not use these words, I would not be accurate, accurately representing the environment around me. Mm-hmm. Do not think for a minute that I am coming down. And even some, a lot of people, you know, do not like and look down on her and say, say that you know she was uh, probably uh, to a degree racist which there is no doubt that who she was and where she was there is probably a degree of that in her life she did write song or write write songs i keep saying that write stories about african american families a fantastic one called the wildcat that were accurate to the time and i do not believe that even if she did use these words in everyday life it was done maliciously these words can be backed up by the absolutely fantastic alice walker you know who she is, right? Uh-uh. Color purple. Oh, okay. Yeah, she lived right. She lived in Eatonton, right around the corner from her, and and is is just her biggest fan in the world. But um, the whole point of me bringing this up is that these writers, whether they're singing in songs or writing stories, have to address address the the accuracy of the time. And, and and how things were handled. It is important for us to know how things were used and how words and language functioned during those times. Yeah, uh, obviously. Do I think he's racist? <laughs> Absolutely not, Bruce Springsteen. Oh, no, no, no. I, I don't yeah. think that there's anybody. But, I mean, I think that it is definitely one of those things where <clears throat> it's easy for your eyes to kind of, um, you know, widen. Like, whoa, what the hell is going on? We don't use on? this language anymore. You know? yeah. um, but, you know, again, that is very much the language. And I know that uh, it's not for me to tell someone who's Asian that they can or can't be upset at that language. Or someone who's black, uh, whether they can or can't be upset um, by a Flannery O'Connor story. I think that most people, I think that most people would agree that they understand and can tell the difference between when someone is just being racist or a piece of shit when someone is just trying to be historically uh, historically accurate um but what the hell do i know uh here is <laughs> i think you i think you explained that well you know and there's something i know a chorus is a chorus is a chorus you know he he didn't expound on the being born in the usa thing i don't know if you got the same feeling but it's like saying it now and repeating it because part of me was like well i'm just not going to repeat this course every time there's there's something there's a quality about it that is just like comes off like sounding like someone just repeating it to themselves over and over again. It's exactly 
they're they're trying there it's it's all they've got to hang on to uh well like, i was that's interesting because i have a, a little bit of a date different take on it which is like this isn't supposed to happen to me i was born in the usa oh. like i'm like where, where did it go wrong i'm god's, I'm born I'm god's in this, elect i'm born Something in this fucking country that is like the richest country right in the world like in the 1980s you know 1970s how is this happening to me? I think I think the my initial uh, feeling from the, it is is it's all I've got to hang on to. There's been so much shit that because I've seen you know I mean I'm a little closer to that Vietnam era of veterans that there were so many of, and I talked to them. I grew up around so many Vietnam veterans, and the one thing even if they might have all had different politics, different places in their lives that they came from, that they all hung on to with all of their might is the fact that they were American. It was like their only real source of pride. You see it on bumper stickers today, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, yeah. I started talking a little bit about this, like I mentioned earlier, um, and now is a good time to expound on this a little bit. Um, so the original title of the song was Vietnam. Uh, this song was written for a movie uh, directed by Paul Schrader, uh, who wrote Taxi Driver. Oh. Um, he asked him to write the song. He wrote it. Um, he, he wrote a song, and then he said the name of the movie is going to be born in the USA. Springsteen couldn't help himself. He stole the title, slapped it on the, the song and released it. And of course it turned into what it was. Um, he did end up um, writing a new song for the movie. Um, uh, and, uh, and that movie was light of day, light of day. Okay. I don't think, I don't know if I've ever seen that one. Um, and I, I actually apologize. He asked him to write a song, heard that the heard heard the title and used it for the song that he wrote called Vietnam. Then he ended up writing another song for the movie called Light of Day mm-hmm. and used it there. Bruce Springsteen um, had the opportunity to sell this song for twelve million dollars um, to Chrysler or um, and uh, did not uh, did not relent. He has not used his songs for any advertising. They ended up wow. using a Kenny Rogers song, <laughs> "The Pride Is Back," which makes a lot of. I mean, <coughs> hey, Kenny needs the money, man. I Kenny mean, needs the money. He's got to be making. The I don't chicken, think he you know? has. You know, I don't think the Pride Is Back is probably about the same thing. This is about though. I don't know. Um, the uh, the annotation for um, genius for the Born in the USA uh, repeat says this line in many ways is a plea. To the VA man, his old boss, and all the others who mistreat him. It is an exclamation of frustration, pain, and suffering from someone who fought for, lost friends for, and most importantly was born in the USA. He was born in the USA, but it's not home to him anymore. He's got nowhere to go. This is what makes Reagan's use of this song so viscerally wrong. Actions like his $500 million cut to the VA are precisely what led to the painful experience of abandonment and alienation this song so perfectly describes. $500 million at that time, that meant something. Cut to the VA. It still means something, but yeah, back then, I mean, cut to the, it meant Cut, cut to the VA, the people that fought for this country. I was listening yeah. to, we, uh, we are both big listeners of Heavyweight. Mm, God. Uh, and there was a recent Mr. episode yeah. um, where they talked to a um, VA or a, uh, a Vietnam vet who came back 
Um, and the episode, if you've never heard the show, it's amazing. And uh, in it, his daughter taped over a clip of him in Vietnam oh. uh, after being in the ho- being hospitalized for getting hit with shrapnel and um, getting hit in the eye with shrapnel, etc. Anyway, um, you know, he talks about how you know what it was like coming back. And the experiences he had, and he said that he was at a, um, I can't remember if it was a VA clinic or he, I, I think it was, it was like an American Legion hall mm-hmm. and he was younger and he was in there and there were some people there from World War II or Korea and um, one of them started giving a hard time and said, are you one of those losers? Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, yes. just other people that were in the military yes. were just like, you made us look bad. Yes. And he said well, he, he found out later on <coughs> one of those people uh, hadn't even left America to serve. Oh, it was stateside. Yeah. 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 Well, listen, this needs to be mentioned. This is this is very, very important because I think some we have some younger listeners that might not have realized this. Most of the time after a war that we participated in, which was a lot, um, when the veterans came back, even in the Civil War, both sides would get together and they were treated um, it, the soldiers, the common soldiers were treated very, very well by the populace after the war, just for the fact that they went away and they fought for what they believed in, whether they, what I'm not debating whether what not what they believed in was right or wrong. They were still treated very well. And a lot of the officers treated each other extremely well too. Um, they, they, they looked at each other as Americans and brothers and that was that. And that was the case for world war one. They came back and generally the populace looked at them as good when world war two, they positively loved if you were a World War II veteran and you fought and you went away, you know, you were an attractive guy. It didn't matter what you looked like, just the fact that you had that uniform on. Same went for mostly the Korean War. The Vietnam War was completely different in that it was such an unpopular war that most of the people that were stateside, meaning in the United States while the war was being fought, looked at those who went away to fight as being complicit in war crimes and just an overall uh, they, they showed a complicitness in, 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 in making the world a, a, a worse place mm-hmm. um, in the name of America and a lot of what people called hippies and a lot of just people that were normal people looked down on soldiers when they came home, these were people that saw their fathers come home from World War II and Korea as heroes. And they thought to themselves, when I get home, I'm going to wear my jump boots, you know, walking down the main street. And people would say to him, no, you're not. You shouldn't do that. People are going to spit on you if you do. And they did. They were called baby killers and things like that. And they were treated extremely badly, uh, just just horribly. And then when we had uh, our, our series of wars with Iraq and the issues in the Middle East, something that was pushed by our parents, by my parents, who were Vietnam-era people, they said, no matter what happens to these people, to these men and women that are in the military when they come home, we will not treat them the same way no matter what happens. Now, that's a good thing. But at the same time, I think that a lot of our press and our government knew that this was uh, could be could be uh, played upon and could be used. And uh, the next thing you know, everybody's singing Lee Greenwood and we're all getting behind unjust wars. This is just my opinion. Um, But it does bear to be said that there was this one period of time in the United States when a soldier who went away and fought for his country and did what he thought was right 
came home to people spitting on him. And that's wrong. So um, it you, people yeah. need to know that. P- younger people need to know that. And, uh, and, and yeah, uh, Regardless of what you think, uh, you know, whether or not you think the war was right or wrong. There's, you know, it's kind of, it's very, very different, obviously, but I kind of feel the same way about booing people on stage. Yeah. It's like, if you don't like them, just walk away from them. Exactly. You don't have to be in the the crowd. If you don't like that someone, you see someone who is in the Vietnam War, then just shut up. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Yes. If you don't have anything nice to do, don't do anything at all. Um, There was also a lot of, um, you know misinformation going around and a lot of, most of these people are victims of shit circumstance yeah absolutely. that's a fact yeah yeah absolutely um so now we have um what in genius is marked as three but i'm going to say it's four kind of verses that go um without um without any courses in between so i'll kind of do two and then we'll uh, we'll do the second two come back home to the refinery hiring man says son if it was up to me went down to see my va man he said son don't you understand we've jumped basically from you know from him leaving to him coming back we're not talking about his experience there we're just talking about that he made it back and he stepped off a bus mm-hmm. and uh now we're getting kind of getting into the sam stone part of this uh this vet's life mm. um you know he's coming back home um you know trying to get a job at the place he used to work but there's no work for him you've heard of the hemingway um model of uh, his his style of writing he called the iceberg theory Mm-mm. you've never heard of this this is that um 10 percent of the story sits on stops uh, sits on top of the water and deserves speaking or writing about the other 90 percent sits underneath and is just implied and mm-hmm. that is to grand effect done right here with um, come back home to the refinery. Hiring man says, son, if it was up to me. That's the first line of somebody telling him, you know, hey, we can't use you. Right. You're not going to be here. Yeah. Without, you know, spelling it out. You you get that from, you you get that just from what he says. And then the same thing goes with went down to see my VA man. He said, son, don't you understand? You're not going to get anything here from us. Mm-hmm. Regardless of the fact that you went away and gave your life and watched your friends die and had your life turned upside down into shit, you know, we're not, we're, we're not going to help you. This, this, this in such a poetic fashion uh, shows the hopelessness of, of the Sam Stone character in this case. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's he's gone to two places that should be there for him after <laughs> being just put on a plane to go fight a war. Yeah. Wherever it is, for whatever it is, um, that um, he was plucked out of his situation against his will. His hometown jam. And um, he... Um, you know, went back and was like, okay, well, I, I did what you told me to do. Can I go ahead and live my life? And this is basically him being told, no, no, you can't. Life Remember is... that shit situation you were in when you left? Yeah. You're still in it. Life has moved on without you, yeah. and there's nothing you can do about it now. I had a brother at Quezon fighting off the Viet Cong. 
they're still there. He's all gone. Um, Jesus. Uh, you know, how, where do we even, where do we even start here? Um, well, Mark, in World War One, this thing that was created that was very, very accurate that they had before, but now became extremely accurate called artillery, mm-hmm. which could reduce a human body to dust. So maybe we can start there. They're still there. He's all gone. That and, line. And, and then a beautiful break. Yeah. Where it's just music for just a second. Like, let this sink in. Yeah. yeah. It just, it, you know, if you're paying attention to lyrics, mm. um, you know, it's interesting um, because um, what I've read, and I do not know much about war in general. I don't know much about this war, but um, Quezon um, is uh, a battle of Quezon. Um, which was the U.S. forces not against the Viet Cong, but about the North Vietnamese Army, which the U.S. won, but then they took off. And basically doesn't seem like it did much for anyone. It was You just told the whole story of the Vietnam War. It, yeah. You know, we gained ground, we gave it back up for nothing. We gained ground, we lose a lot of lives. Um, it, 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 the Battle of Quezon took place in 1968. Um, it was, uh, that was, that was kind of a a turning point in the war. Um, it was, I don't want to go too much into it, but it was what Mark described as, you know, we, we gained ground, we gave it up. North Vietnamese, my parents used to tell me when I was a child that when you watched Walter Cronkite on CBS, and that's the way it was, every single night he would, they would put up body counts of how many people died over there, of how many uh, Vietnamese. They would not put up the body counts of how many Americans died, but they would to try and show you, oh, this is, you know, this is, this is the ground we're gaining, the amount of people that we're killing. And we killed so many more Vietnamese than Americans died, literally hundreds of thousands. And, uh, and it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. But this, was, this particular um, battle was, um, I mean... <laughs> It was it was pretty vicious. I mean, it wasn't the biggest. I think that um, the Tet Offensive was probably much bigger. That was uh, in the same year, um, but uh, you had you technically only had about two hundred and seventy four. I don't want to sit here and go into numbers too deeply. Americans killed, but at the same time, you're estimating that for those two hundred and seventy four, you had about ten to fifteen thousand. Vietnamese and NVA, Viet Cong and NVA soldiers killed. And that was pretty typical. And it was for very little. And then we would strategically retreat and they would gain the ground anyway. Now, and I think when we first got done reading this uh, this verse and a half or what have you, um, you had made a reference to this next line. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, what I got with this line is that his buddy is just insane that he's all gone mentally that he's that he's suffering from such extreme ptsd um that they're still there but he is checked out i didn't think about that until you brought it up i didn't i thought and that is i'm thinking i always thought oh he got blasted to a million yeah I, i i think it's saying like they're still there like but, including him, they're all still there, but he is as checked out. He's done. Cheese slipped off the crack. He is, yeah. He's yeah. just he's he's out of it. Okay. He's he's gone. Which is, I mean, both sides are somewhat appropriate. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, uh, that is a much eerier take on the line for me personally. Maybe that's why I hear it that way. Right. It is. 
it is. He had a woman he loved in Saigon. I got a picture of him in her arms now. And uh, we get another little bout of silence. They, he just separates that part to be completely alone. Down in the shadow of the penitentiary, out by the gas fires of the refinery, I'm ten years burning down the road. Nowhere to run, ain't got nowhere to go. Born in the USA. I was born in the USA now. Born in the USA. I'm a long gone daddy in the USA. <clears throat> when America goes off to war, uh, we wind up, you know, our soldiers. Uh, this happens in any war. Uh, soldiers go to these places and they meet um, partners there, women, um, and they find their significant others, their spouses there. And um, that happened in Vietnam as well. Uh, a lot of soldiers while they were over there met these women. Um, you know, some of them married them and brought them home. There were many, many, many more that just had children with them. And uh, those children in Vietnam were were dismissed by the Vietnamese people as, you know, soldiers' children. They even had a name for them. They called them dust children or children of the dust. And um, and that is another lasting legacy of America. This is a good time to talk in. a little bit about the music video directed by noted filmmaker John Sales. Uh, this is from Wikipedia. It consisted of video concert footage of Springsteen and the E Street Band performing the song, Poorly synchronized with audio from the studio recording, um, he did not want to. He did not want to lip sync this. Mm. Uh, this footage was intermixed with compelling 1980s scenes of working class America, emphasizing images that had some connection with the song, including Vietnam veterans, Amerasian children. That's right. Assembly lines, oil refineries, cemeteries, and the like. Finishing with a recreation of the album's cover with a grizzled Springsteen posing in front of an American flag. Lines outside of check cashing places. I was just going to mention that in particular, Jesus. which was one part where you and I looked at each other like... Which is still real to this fuck. day. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, unfortunately. Absolutely. Um, he, uh, he does repeat the chorus. Um, there, is, uh, there is a part that you and I talked a little bit about, um, which if you're uh, a musician or a drummer... You probably can't help but notice the giant drum fill thing, drum solo. Um, this is again from Song Facts. The drum solo towards the end of the song was completely improvised. Drummer Max Weinberg said that the band was recording in an oval-shaped studio with the musicians separated into different parts. Springsteen at the front suddenly toward, turned towards Weinberg at the back after singing and waved his hands in the air frantically to signal drumming. Weinberg then nailed that part. The song was recorded in three takes. Wow. Live recording. And, the, and, and what you're saying, if I get this right, is that Weinberg fill, which is fucking awesome, mm -hmm. it was done in one off, off the cuff? Yes. That's so fucking cool. And uh, the song was apparently had 18 minutes cut from it. That was a psychedelic jam. Oh, wow. You'll notice that the song fades out. So yeah, yeah. apparently there's a giant chunk I would love to hear. Yeah. I would love like to have a moonlight drive with that. To hear yeah. what the fuck that sounded like. Um those are the lyrics. I mean how um 
I, I hope, you know, if one person hears this and realizes what the song is about, and again, I don't care if you're pro or anti-America or pro or anti-Vietnam um, War or what, I think that the most important thing here in Seth in my mind is that we open your eyes up to the fact of what this song was about if you didn't know. I think that it is definitely easy for you to not realize um, what the song is about because a lot of times, like I said, it's usually just kind of barroom fodder. Um, not something that people necessarily like go and look up the lyrics to. Um, and so I think it's very interesting. I do strongly suggest you go and try and find the original version. I did play a little bit of it earlier underneath, um, you know, us talking, but I think it's worth, you know, just kind of sitting and hearing it because um, it is in the style of Nebraska where the vocals are up front and center. It's not covered under all this awesome musicianship. Um, the whole point of this show is to um, talk about things that we didn't uh, didn't expect out of a song, things that we didn't know were there, things that we overlooked. And if anything comes of this episode, um, I picture... Um, a group of people, or I mean, a couple of people that might have heard this song out somewhere and they hear this song come on in a bar and a group of people goes, oh, it's that song, you know, and they kind of groan and maybe look the other way and kind of, you know, just check it for a second and say, oh, it's that song. And then somebody brings up the fact that now this thing, it's not just a, a flag waving anthem. This is a sad song. This song says a whole lot more than what you're just getting out of that repeated chorus. There's mm -hmm. so much more to it. That's what I'm hoping will happen as a result of what we're doing right here. Um, there's so much more um, to uh, to what's being said, and it highlights the shit circumstances that not just Americans, but probably people, probably some Ukrainian kid is going through right now, um, yeah. and and uh, and and how bad it's probably going to be for him when this is all over and how his life is going to be destroyed, even though he thinks he's doing the right thing. And he, you know, I'm not here to debate whether or not he is or isn't. I think he is. But, um, but you know, somebody invades your country. It, his life is probably not going to get better afterwards as a result of all the shit circumstances that he has to go through, you know, to gain the freedom of his country back. It, it's probably going to be, you know, less than before. And, um, and, Everybody dies frustrated and sad, and that is beautiful. I'm not going to even bother to read any of the comments on any of the web pages, but I do want to read um, right before we finish this episode up. Critic Grail Marcus wrote, Clearly the key to the enormous explosion of Bruce's popularity is the misunderstanding that this song is a patriotic song. He is a tribute to the fact that people hear what they want to hear. Oh, there you go. And I think that um, does a pretty good job of surmising a lot of what we said here. Uh, is there a creep factor here there is for you? There's a 0.0 creep factor. That I completely agree with. That's a 0.0, .0 from both of us. Mm -hmm. There is no creepiness to it. Um, it is just a straight-up great fucking song, and uh, that's that. Let's go ahead and get a little less serious, huh? That was, uh, dude. That was so great. I I wish we could find something like that to do every week, man. That's... And you know, I'd like to hear some feedback. If you guys like um, like episodes like this, I would not be um, adverse to doing more episodes like this, where we're taking some, uh, you know, some good songs and also kind of uncovering them because I don't really think the lyrics to this song are bad. 
are bad at all. They're, they're not. great lyrics. They're out. Um, and, you know, I know that we've dealt with that a little bit with Come On Eileen. Oh, a great version. Um, yeah, a great song. Yeah. And the again, the main focus of uh, the heart song. Um, we did end up making fun of it and kind yeah. of talking about how fucked up it was. It's got um, but uh, also kind of uncovering what the song is really about. Next up, we're going to do a song by the band Modest Mouse. We're going to do Float On. No. Yeah. All right. I have man, I have history with that band. Yeah, I know I you have do. Serious history Didn't, with that. Are band. you the one who brought this song up? No, I okay. did not. Well, we'll see how it goes. But he's wrote he's written some really great lyrics. Oh yeah, and he's written some really bad lyrics, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um, and yeah, this is a this is a questionable one, definitely. But I have I go way back with Modest Mouse. You do. I, I go do. back pretty far. Yeah, you you do too. Um. I go back. Well, we'll talk about it in the episode. So I'm, but, I just like to say, so I'm in a, group, a room of about 50 people. Yeah, I don't go. Well, I don't know if I would have gone back that far. I'm not sure because I never saw him live. But yeah. um, So go ahead and listen to the song Float On, and we will uh, we'll get busy tearing it apart and listening to it between now and then. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you, Seth, for being here. Mark, nowhere to run and nowhere to go. <laughs> All right, we will be back uh, next Monday with more lyrics to go. Thanks a lot for listening. Our theme song was done by Exploding Pages. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for songs or lyrics, you can send them to lyricstogopod at gmail.com. We'll be back here next week. <laughs>